the disagreement is turning pretty dark. We have a divided nation. We have a very divided nation. We seem to be living in a time of utter tribalism. If it's true to you, then it's true. No, it's not. In order to be able to think, you have to risk being offensive. I mean, look at the conversation we're having right now. Nothing is as important as the truth of God revealed in Scripture. Welcome to Disagree With Me, a podcast dedicated to considerate conversations on taboo topics. My name is Angel Rodriguez, and I am your host. As always, I am joined by the wonderful Mr. Caleb Powers. Yo, yo. And today we are joined all the way from Southern California. It's thousands of miles, I'm pretty sure. I, I got to get my Google Maps out to do the distance. Uh, but Mr. Rob Cobell. Yeah. Joining us today. Yeah. And yeah, Rob, thank you for having me on. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for thanks for taking the time and and coming on all the way out from, from California. <laughs> yeah, we're super brother. excited about this episode. <laughs> yeah, we are. Um, and Rob is a pastor at the Refuge Community Church in Rancho Cucamonga. Did I say that right? Cucamonga. That's right, Rancho okay. Cucamonga. Yes, Cucamonga. I like that name, California. Um, and then you're also a, is a chancellor at QTI. Yeah, Quest Theological Institute okay. in Southern California. It's a two-year Bible school that's affiliated with Wagner University. And uh, we teach everything from hermeneutics to eschatology. Um, we present a covenant systematic theology, uh, which is very important to the NAR movement. And uh, then we encourage our graduates uh, when they're done to continue and get their Bachelor of Arts degree at Wagner University. All right. So needless to say, I, I'm going to say I'm, I'm not the smartest person on this podcast at this moment right now. Not that I am, ever am, <laughs> but certainly not now. Um, I think you just inadvertently uh, complimented me. I did. No, I, I meant that as a compliment <laughs> to you and Rob as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and today, I've, yeah, I've, also, I've also written three books. I uh, wrote a book on uh, Revelation, a verse-by-verse -verse commentary from a post-millennial perspective. And then I wrote a 40-day devotional for um, Lent called In Via. And then I have a brand new book out uh, called Arise, uh, Spiritual Formation for the New Apostolic Reformation. Okay, cool. So uh, cool. I'm uh, deeply involved in the NAR movement. And uh, it's a pleasure. I'm really honored you to invite me on. And I'm just yeah. thankful to be here. Yeah. Appreciate no, th thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, we're going to talk about the NAR movement, um, New Apostolic Reformation. And I just honestly, this episode, um, like I said, we're as a podcast, we're here to 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 bring disagree, uh, disagreement to get uh, disagree together, bring opposing viewpoints together and disagree. Um, well, I honestly I have a lot of questions. So. Rob, my first question for you is, what is the NAR movement? Can you give us a, a quick synopsis of, of what it is and, and, and help us better understand it? Uh, I, I appreciate that question because it's the most misunderstood movement in modern Christianity right now. In fact, um, there are different, um, we should say, uh, families or streams within the NAR movement. The NAR movement was started 
by P. C. Peter Wagner, who is a, uh, a professor at Fuller Seminary. Uh, C. Peter Wagner didn't start a denomination. He defined uh, a movement of charismatic Christians that were emerging. And these charismatic Christians uh, began to join Dr. Wagner in a shift from dispensational Christianity uh, to a covenant uh, perspective, which is post-millennial uh, eschatology, a covenant systematic theology, uh, as opposed to dispensationalism, um, and uh, also uh, the return of fivefold or apostolic church governance. Uh, so the movement uh, really is immature in many ways. And when we ask what is the NAR, uh, in its strictest sense, I would say those are the people that agree with the major paradigm shifts that Dr. Wagner wrote in his book, This Changes Everything. Uh, that's the NAR movement. There's a lot that's uh, called NAR uh, that is not NAR. And uh, there are various leaders that I'm affiliated with uh, that would uh, look at what other people brand the NAR, and we would look at that in, uh, in shock and maybe hoard that that would be considered uh, part of the NAR. And so uh, we are a movement that's learning how to self-define. Uh, we're trying to rally around doctrines that Peter C. Wagner put out for the movement. And really, uh, it, it's a movement that needs to bring, that needs to come into maturity. And it also needs to make some great corrections as well. And so I love it when I get a chance to talk to critics uh, because they often think that we're something that we're not. And so that was just a, a thumbnail sketch. If we said NAR, we would say post-millennialism, we would say covenant theology, we would say charismatic Christianity, we would say uh, a commitment to culture change, uh, which, uh, People call the Seven Mountain Mandate, or which uh, Abraham Kuyper would have uh, called the sphere-based um, sphere-based order, or seven movers of culture, and then we believe in apostolic governance of the church. Okay, yeah, that's that's fascinating because I, I definitely knew that there was a more charismatic branch of postmillennialism that I I don't ascribe to, um, but uh, I, I I'm definitely curious to hear more about that. So yeah. yeah. I honestly, we were talking before we started recording here, and, and I was saying that I had watched a couple of your church services, and one of the things that I grew up in a more charismatic, I would say like Pentecostal leading church, and it was very familiar to me watching your church services, just in some of the things that, that you were saying, and and uh, and like I, I know that in your church you were using um, like dance and. And things like that, and that's something that, that I grew up with in, in my church. So, the the image of the NAR that I had that I have seen is is closely associated with like Bethel Church in Redding, California, um, and leaders such as like Bill Johnson, who's who's a pastor at that as at at that church. Um, when you say that people have um, like an image of the NAR, is is that who you're that you're referring to, like the the Bethel church movement and, and, and we, like uh, we, we like Bethel church very okay. much. I, I know Bill and Chris. Okay. Um, I appreciate them as leaders. They've, uh, are probably the most misunderstood church in our movement. Okay. Uh, they're certainly the most influential. Um, they're a, they're a massive church with lots of influence. And so a lot of things happen, uh, that, uh, 
maybe are um, critiqued that they have no knowledge of. And uh, let's face it, uh, charismatic Christianity, uh, I'll be the first to admit that many brands or expressions of charismatic Christianity uh, are, are need to be corrected. There needs to be a maturing in our movement, much like the Pentecostal movement had to mature over a few generations. Uh, if we look at the uh, original Azusa Street uh, group, and then we look at the uh, more mature expressions of the Pentecostal movement, like uh, the Foursquare denomination or the Assemblies of God denomination, or even uh, Church of God in Christ or Church of God and many of those mainline Pentecostal denominations, they've matured over the year and actually become um, more orthodox and more biblical. Uh, and I think that's what the uh, NAR movement is, is what we're trying to do, mm -hmm. some of the leaders in our movement. We just had a roundtable last year in July where we talked about the things that, that need to happen in our movement. Uh, one is uh, doctrinal fidelity. Uh, another one is what do we believe about an, any number of these issues? How do we answer our critics? Uh, how do we bring biblical scholarship to the table so that we're not branded heretics anymore? Okay. Yeah, man, I have a lot of questions. A lot, a lot of questions. I, I guess I would ask, what is, you mentioned and it's right in the name apostolic. What is what does that mean? You know, apostolic secession or, or restoring the the apostolic um, church government. What does what does that mean in the NAR? Well, as uh, charismatics or Pentecostals, um, we would all say that the gifts of the Spirit are operating in the church today, and so people that are in the NAR movement, we would say, well, if the gifts of the Spirit are operating today. Uh, then the governance that governed the gifts or governed a spirit-filled church are still present today. And we would look uh, at what we would call uh, the fivefold, which would be found in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 11 through 13. And we would say that those office gifts are still functioning, whether you have the title or not. If you look at Christian movements throughout Christian history, we would see um, an apostolic type leaders like John Wesley, or we would see Chuck Smith, who uh, launched the Jesus People Movement or the Calvary Chapel Revival. People like John Wimber, they wouldn't never have called themselves apostles, but they functioned at a high level where they had plenty of influence over a wide variety of churches, and they brought a, a complete shift to Christianity. Uh, the reason we can wear T-shirts, shorts, and flip-flops in church is because of the vineyard movement. Now, that's not a doctrinal thing, but I'm just using that as an example of how uh, God would raise up apostolic leaders that shift the church into a certain direction. Uh, many evangelicals now uh, don't fight over tongues or don't fight over the gifts of the Spirit because they're so commonplace. Um, even if they're not practiced in their church, they're not going to say that the, that the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. Uh, those were results of apostolic teachers or apostolic leaders. Um, we would say even some of the mainline denominations are organized apostolically. I know that, uh, you know, denominations like, uh, let's just use uh, Presbyterians, for example, uh, have a very apostolic governance. Uh, even the Methodist movement uh, has very apostolic governance. Um, now, uh, they're certainly maybe not Pentecostal or charismatic, but we can see that God has arranged these functions 
And these functions have been in the church. And so what Peter Wagner did was uh, pull those to the front and say, these have always been operating. And uh, as charismatics, we should expect that there would be an apostolic government that guides God's church. Um, furthermore, uh, I am uh, a part of two networks, two apostolic networks. One is Global Legacy, which is Bethel's network. Um, and then the other uh, apostolic network that I'm a part of is called HIM, Harvest International uh, Ministries. And that's a church of uh, thousands of churches globally. And um, so how it functions for us is I have a, a, an apostle, Che On. He's over the whole movement. And then I have a regional apostle that's over the Southwest uh, that I relate to named Mark Tubbs. And then I have uh, a, an, an apostle that I work with on a weekly basis named Dave Collins. And uh, these men um, build into my life. They uh, help me confirm vision for my church. Um, they're spiritual fathers to me. And so the movement is very relational. And uh, these guys also have the ability to bring correction to my church, uh, bring correction to me. Uh, and our church elders, uh, we defer to our apostolic leadership. Um, and so uh, it uh, is arranged much like what you would see in the book of Acts with the Apostle Paul having the type of authority to correct the local church. Uh, none of them would ever say that they have the authority to write scripture or the authority to give uh, commands directly from God. None of them would say they have that kind of authority or power, but uh, we would recognize them at higher level leaders that we would defer to and we would submit to, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. Um, and so I, I guess another question is, you know, how do you, um, what are the qualifications for an apostle? In because that's, that's, that's uh, a great question. Um, I think we would go to the scripture. We'd see there's about 22 marks of an apostle um, in, in, the, in the book of Acts. If we looked at the book of Acts, we would see, uh, and through the apostolic letters of Paul and Peter and others, we would see um, marks that mark people an apostle. That's one of the things that, is, uh, that really needs to develop in our movement is who we would call an apostle and how is an apostle ordained. Yeah. And so somebody like me would see an apostle as somebody who is uh, translocal or transnational in their ability to influence the church. Uh, the other thing is, is we would see Christ-like character. Uh, we would see the uh, 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 power, spiritual power, um, healing, signs and wonders. Uh, we would see uh, a, a church planting. Uh, or uh, ability to gather many leaders, many leaders respect that person. Uh, we would look for biblical wisdom in that leader. And uh, unfortunately, there are some that have been named apostle or self-appointed apostle uh, that have really made a mockery of what C. Peter Wagner was proposing uh, in this movement. And uh, that's one of the great, uh, the great stains on the movement is we do not have um, a way to police who calls themselves an apostle or not. The people I'm involved with, it's uh, that title is not given uh, easily. There are okay. very few people that we would look at and go, they are a modern day apostle. Very few. No, I have no, a no. very, 
I'm a very hard line. I'm a local church pastor. I yeah. see myself in the fivefold as a pastor teacher. I see the evangelist, the prophet, and the apostle as uh, as as beyond the local church. Uh, Paul was never a local church pastor. He stayed in churches for the longest he stayed was in Ephesus for about three years. Uh, but he was a church planter. He was somebody that was fathering the church and yeah. growing the church and and uh, equipping and releasing leaders. I see the apostle, the prophet, and the evangelist is outside the local church and the pastor teacher as being inside the local church, caring for the people and teaching the word of God. Okay. Yeah. Cause one of the things that, that uh, I think would, would, you know, from where we're coming from is, you know, an apostle is, is somebody that learned directly from Jesus Christ. Um, and so we would believe that, the, the office of apostle has already passed since there are no more people being directly taught by Christ as, you know, the 12 disciples were. And then as Paul was um, in the scriptures. And, and so that, I, I appreciate the, the explanation on, on where you're coming from and in that regard. Um, and I, I guess another really important question that I want to ask and is, you know, in the new apostolic reformation, um, what, I mean, I'll just ask you this, Rob, what, what is, what is the gospel? Uh, I would say that the gospel is number one, the proclamation that Jesus Christ died for our sins on a cross and rose on the third day and ascended to heaven. I would thoroughly, thoroughly defend the Nicene Creed. Uh, the gospel starts with that. The gospel, uh, now from that belief, uh, we believe we're Trinitarians. I'm assuming you're a Trinitarian. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, yes. So as, as uh, ones that believe in Trinitarian theology, um, we, would, uh, we would say that uh, because we've believed, we've been born again by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, and so we would say that, uh, that uh, the gospel should look apostolic. So if I've been born again and I have the Holy Spirit living in me, well, then I would be able to hear and respond to the Holy Spirit. And so the gospel would be not only the proclamation of Jesus' sacrificial death on a cross, his resurrection from the dead and his, um, and his ascension, but that message would be proved with spiritual power. So I would, so I would see uh, healing the sick or casting out demons, uh, or some type of power demonstration as that which confirms the word I'm bringing to you. Uh, much like Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians when he said, I didn't come to you uh, with just mere words, but I came to you with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith would rest in God and not man. And so as uh, I think most Pentecostals and Charismatics agree that the gospel is the main message is Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, uh, but we would prove our message with spiritual power that would bring legitimacy to the gospel I'm preaching to you. Do you think, do you think that that spiritual power is something that is held by all Christians? or is it? I think that there are a variety of gifts. Okay. Uh, not all Christians have the same gifts. Uh, I have a, um, I have a, a governmental view on the gifts of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit gives them as he wills. So yeah. I don't teach that 
every Christian has all the gifts. Mm -hmm. I see that the gifts of the spirit make us interdependent. I also see that there's like uh, over 20 gifts of the spirit. There's gifts of administration, gifts of help, uh, you know, gifts of teaching. Uh, so I would gift of mercy. So I would see that all those are, are supernatural, spiritually empowered gifts as legitimate as the gift of tongues or interpretation of tongues or gifts of healing and miracles, uh, gifts of discerning the spirits, gifts of the word of knowledge or word of wisdom, uh, gift of prophecy. So I would say that, um, that I would look for a supernatural, uh, a supernatural ex experience and a baptism of the spirit. But beyond that, I would look for a supernatural lifestyle. Uh, of this person partnering with the Holy Spirit and manifesting power. Uh, just, I might not have the gift of healing, but I can still pray for the sick. Uh, I might not have the gift of prophecy, but, but I could still hear uh, and be guided by the Spirit's voice and bring encouragement, comforting, and strengthening. Uh, so uh, that's how I look at the spiritual gifts. I believe that the spiritual power has always been presented. If you read some of the authors in the early church, uh, like Arrhenius and others, uh, they uh, promote that the supernatural spiritual gifts were present in the church, uh, you know, well past the apostolic era. And even reading John Wesley's diaries and things like that, there was plenty of spiritual power being released as he would preach. So um, to, to me, that uh, I think every Christian uh, can partner with the Holy Spirit and pray for the sick, but uh, that not, doesn't necessarily mean that we have the gift of healing, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, spiritual power is something Christians should produce. Okay. It, it, it would look like holiness too. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I agree on that part. I, Sanctification I, I, is spiritual yep, power. Of course. Yep. No, I would agree on that. I think that, I guess, you know, I'm coming at it from a, because you could call me cessationist. I, I still believe that God can, if God wanted to, he could heal every sick person in, in this world at the snap of a finger. Cause, cause God can. I, I, I've seen so many healings uh, in our church. It's not uncommon for us to see cancer healed okay. or to see uh, all kinds of miraculous things happen. I, I've mm -hmm. seen so many miracles that I, I can't. Um, I used to be a cessationist. Okay. I, I was ordained Southern Baptist, okay. um, but I had, uh, I, I watched, uh, I went on a mission trip and I saw people saved, mm -hmm. filled with the spirit, speaking in tongues and healed on that mission trip. And I'd never seen that before. And uh, that one experience uh, began my journey of rethinking uh, Christianity and seeing that my cessation uh, position was born out of my inexperience uh, with the Holy Spirit. My inexperience, I didn't see that. So therefore, I had bought into a theology that was based not on the scripture, but based on experience. Okay. And so when I began to uh, look at the book of Acts from a different view, then I be able, began to see that, wow, these things should still be happening. Nowhere did I read in the New Testament that the gifts of the Spirit ceased. Uh, and so for me, that was the beginning of the change. And I actually left the Southern Baptist Convention about um, uh, 10 years ago. Okay. 10 or 12 years ago. Yeah. Okay. So where I'm going from, like, like I said at the beginning, I, 
I used to go to, a, or I, I grew up in a more charismatic church. And so part of, you know, speaking in tongues was, was, was part of our, and I honestly, I believe those people are, are believers. I mean, they preach the gospel. Um, I appreciate that because yeah. there's some uh, cessationists that say that uh, we're deceived and uh, we're not saved. Uh, I yeah. watched all six hours of, uh, of the uh, strange fire conference that John MacArthur hosted. Yeah. And I was really heartbroken because I would never look at a cessationist and say that they're not saved yeah. and that they don't have the Holy spirit. I think it all depends, obviously. And that's why I asked you, what is the gospel? Because that's, what's most important. If we, if we believe, you know, that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh lived the perfect life, died on the cross, absolutely atoning for our sins and rose again. And we, and only through repentance and faith in him that we can be saved from absolutely that's that's the gospel and that's christianity right there so i you if, that's what you, if that's what you believe you're my brother in christ but um so like i'm like the people that i i grew up around i can say because they preach that same gospel but in you know we had that same you know in the church that i grew up in um speaking in tongues and and gifts of of healing and I'm coming at it, I guess, you know, you started off as a cessationist and then into the NAR movement. And I'm starting off from a charismatic point of view and then kind of switching into the cessationist um, place. I, I guess even from scripture, we can see, and I, and I want to hear what your answer to this would be. Um, of course, we can, we can point to scripture. I believe everything that the Bible says in the book of Acts, you know, when, when Peter tells a man to stand up, take up your mat and walk and and in action, the man can do so. And um, all this wonderful, wonderful things that, that God does, people speaking in tongues and actual languages um, happening towards the beginning of Acts. And then towards the end, those kind of things taper off. And, and there are even, you know, like Paul suffered um, from sickness and, 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 you know, Timothy, he writes to Timothy to tell him to drink a little wine for his stomach ailment. And, and all these other things. Um, so I, I guess my, my question to you would be, is if, if one has the gift of healing, does, uh, does, that, does that always mean that if, if someone with the gift of healing prays for somebody that they will be, be healed? Or is that like guaranteed in the... In the... I, I would see that uh, healing is in the atonement. Okay. Uh, I would look at Isaiah 53. Uh, and I would take those Hebrew words quite literally. Okay. Um, and I see that there was uh, uh, plenty of people healed in the Acts narrative. Uh, but I also believe that we live in a fallen world. Um, you know, after the fall, the world was subject to sin and death. And um, I don't know why people are not healed every time they're prayed for. I think that healing is so multidimensional. When we talk, it's uh, pretty ignorant to point to one thing and say that's the issue um, because I have prayed for plenty of people that have been healed, and I've prayed for plenty of people that have not been healed. And for me, I see healing as the children's bread. It's a part of the atonement. I'm going to pray for healing uh, whether they are healed or not. Uh, I'll leave that result up to the sovereignty of God. Um, I... I uh, I believe that God wants everybody healed, okay. um, but not everybody is healed. Um, so, so to me, it's like a paradox, right? 
Okay. I, I, I've seen so much of it. I was, uh, went to Mexico about a month ago uh, and we uh, had a service in the, in the city there. Every single person I prayed for was healed. Every single person. Um, I, there wasn't one person I didn't pray for that wasn't healed. Um, I came back the very next Sunday to my church and I said, uh, well, I want to pray for some people. So I started praying with our healing teams and uh, nobody I prayed for was healed. I can't explain that. Theologically, I would say healing's in the atonement, but I, I don't want to build um, a theology based off experience. I know God, I know people get healed. And I've seen people not be healed. I don't know what to do with that. I don't have an easy answer for that. Other than I still believe that God heals because I see the result often. Okay. So, so when you, when you say gift of healing, what do you, like somebody has a gift of healing, what do you mean by that then? Um, that means that they uh, pray consistently and see people healed. Okay. They, 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 they just see it, right? Uh, okay. I know people that uh, have the gift of prophecy. Um, uh, so much so, uh, that, um, that they're not only forth telling, uh, but I mean, they confirm, I, I had a, uh, a, a prophet I know, uh, call me. And as we were going through something as a church, we needed a church building. The prophet said in 30 days, you will be in this building. And even, she even called out the building mm -hmm. and she didn't live in our area at all. And uh, I thought that was an impossibility. In fact, I almost thought, well, um, I didn't believe it, to be frank. Okay. Uh, but I'll tell you what, 30 days later to the day she gave the prophecy, I had the keys to that exact same building in my hand. So okay. um, that's somebody that has a gift of prophecy. Okay. They can foretell and foretell. Um, so for me... Um, Somebody with a gift of healing is somebody that produces healing often or consistently. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I also wanted, did want to talk about prophecy and I'm happy you brought that up. Um, I don't know. Or Caleb, do you have anything to say? Okay. <laughs> I saw you putting on the headphones, but um, one of the, the things that I, that I, I wonder, you know, cause, cause I believe that the Bible is, is sufficient, you know, the, and I, I think you would have, you would affirm. I absolutely agree. I believe in a closed canon. Yeah. I believe that the Bible is authoritative, uh, that, uh, that, uh, the Bible should be the, the, uh, end of it. It defines what's right and what's not right. The Bible is the ultimate truth. Okay. Uh, and I would say uh, um, almost everybody in our movement, uh, everybody that I know certainly believes that. We don't believe in uh, mutability. Uh, we believe in the immutability of the word of God. We stand that it, it's the word of God is a closed canon. It is the word of God. It's authoritative and we should obey it. So so how do you, if, if prophecy, do, do you see the prophecy like the person that you were speaking with? Do you see that prophecy in par or in line with and as biblical prophecy, as prophecy that we would read off of the pages of Isaiah? Would that prophecy be in line with, with that? Absolutely not. Why not? Uh, because the scriptures closed, the canon is closed. 
um, we would say that uh, the apostles uh, and the and people um, you know associated with them uh, wrote scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the close of that age, we would say that the, what was accepted as not at Nicaea is the word of God. You know, certainly Luke wasn't an eyewitness yeah. of Jesus, but we accept his gospel as the word of God. Okay. Um, you know, uh, so, so when I say prophecy, I would look at uh, what would be contained in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Certainly Paul's encouraging that local church to prophesy uh, and to uh, have an expression of the prophetic is speaking spontaneously what the spirit is saying and that the church would judge that, um, would weigh what's being said and uh, receive or not receive what's being said. Uh, so we would look at New Testament prophecy much different than the prophecy of scripture. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't say a prophet yeah. is infallible. Okay. So- uh, I would say, I would say the, the gift of prophecy uh, works as the person is inspired by the Holy Spirit to see, hear, or feel, and then speak that out. And as they speak it out, you know, it goes through the filter of their heart on the places where they're broken, the places where they're not healed, places where there's emotional brokenness, um, and that would flavor that word. So they're not speaking under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit, like the prophecy of Scripture. They would be speaking as they can perceive from the Spirit. And we can see that there's two levels of prophecy or division, even in the book of Acts with Philip's daughters that were, that had a prophetic ministry. We also see Agabus having a prophetic ministry in the book of Acts. Uh, so that's much different than the prophecy mm-hmm. of scripture. Okay. Yeah. Cause the, the, I would say, you know, the, they're talking to, to these early believers that didn't have the, the canon of scripture like we do now. And that the Bible, you know, it's, it's God breathes. It's, Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training up in righteousness that the man of God may be fully equipped. Amen. So every, everything that we have in the scripture is everything that we directly need from God. And we then take what we find here and we apply it to everything else that we, we have. I would vi- vigorously agree with that. Yeah. So then my the, the confusion for me comes into, you know, if, if we're still receiving insp- revelation from God, and, and I know you don't put it in the same level as the biblical prophecy. And if we're still receiving that revelation from God, like, and, and even, you know, we can look at the, at the different books of scripture and we can tell, you know, Corinthians and first and second Corinthians were written by Paul. And he has a very distinct writing style than Peter does or, or Luke does, you know, and even then it's this direct inspiration from God. And yet we can tell that this is Paul writing. Why now today do we have like, you, you know, you said people are hearing from God and, and, but then when they speak these things through, they, they filter it through their um, emotions and their experiences and everything. So I just, I just, for me, it's hard to understand, you know, if, if God is still revealing things to us today, as, as he was then in, in the time that the Bible was being written, how or why are they not on the same level? Well, I would, I would frame it in the context of your relationship with God. Um, somehow you're able to perceive that God has a strategy for your life. You had to make decisions about your life and you put those before God in prayer mm-hmm. and you had to hear God somehow. 
perceive that he was confirming you to do something. Um, and so for me, that's how I see prophecy is that every Christian can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, there's no way you could be convicted of sin. Um, so you have, there has to be some type of spiritual perception already in you because God is naturally supernatural. And because you've been born again by the Spirit, you have some way, uh, every Christian has some way to discern what God is saying, what he's not saying. We could do that through the word confirming, but also you've made decisions by your life that you said in prayer. And most Christians haven't said, oh, I feel like the Lord is leading me to fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's how modern day prophecy works is that uh, we hear uh, and we perceive and then we speak. Okay. And, um, and it needs to be judged. It needs to be weighed. But um, that's, uh, that's how... That's how I would say it. Like I yeah. ministered at a church um, a while back and the Lord does uh, spoke very clearly to my heart. And I, and I saw a name uh, appear in my mind's eye. And I knew that God, that God had a word for this person. And uh, so I asked uh, if that person was present. And of course that person was present. And then I prophesied to that person, confirmed things that God was telling them in the, in the moment confirmed some of the decisions that the Lord was asking them to make. And they came up to me after and said, wow, that really, really brought some clarity to the things that I was already writing in my journal, already think that I was going to do. And uh, this really brought closure to that decision and helped me move forward in my walk with God and a decision that's going to point my life in a certain direction. Um, Jesus said, his sheep hear his voice. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I believe that God still speaks to every son or daughter. I, I, I believe as well that God, God speaks, but through his word, through the Bible. And so of course, you know, his sheep hear his voice and, and it's right in, in the Bible. Here's the call to, to repent and believe the gospel. Um, it's exactly what, so the way that I, I go about, you know, living out my life is looking at what the Bible says and and that's kind of what we're doing this show is, is to show that the Bible applies to every sphere of life. Like we can find the answers, whether whatever our disagreements might be, whatever world we be, um, we come up against, the Bible has answers. And so we look at what the Bible says and like, love God, love your neighbor. Like, how do I live my life in accordance to that? You know, like, how can I love my neighbor today? Um, I'm not going to run them over with my car. Um, not because, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Not because, <laughs> Not necessarily because God is telling me, like, Angel, don't run your neighbor over with your car, but because the Bible says love your neighbor. And the application well, of that is. Well, Angel, that's very different. Um, okay. there, there are commands of Scripture yeah. that, are, that are moral commands, right? And, uh, and, and uh, you know, those moral commands are like loving your neighbor, mm -hmm. um, you know, not uh, being in a place of lust, um, you know, not lying, uh, not stealing. Uh, living a moral and ethical life. Um, those are the commands of scripture, but then there's also a relational part. That's the great boast of Christianity is that you have a relationship with Jesus. Yes. And, um, you know, uh, there's a certain amount, even I found with evangelicals, there's a certain amount of appropriation in the text. If we, uh, if we just only applied hermeneutic method to the text, uh, then we pretty much uh, just have a context and a history lesson uh, and uh, understanding of Greek words and 
uh, why the book was written and who it was written to. But uh, there's a certain amount, even when dealing with a word where we need to appropriate it, and it speaks to our heart in our inner person. Uh, I would say that's mostly how I hear the voice of God, by reading the word of God and perceiving what God is speaking to me in the moment. Um, I have a great appreciation for hermeneutics. I, I, I uh, believe in biblical exegetical method methodology, but I also know that God speaks very intimately to me in the word. Um, so I would say there's both. I've had dreams. I've had visions. I've had trances. Uh, but I, but I stand on the word of God and I would, uh, and I would, uh, walk that out. Um, so even, even evangelicals that, that say they're not spirit filled, uh, I do know that they have a relationship with the Holy spirit through the word. That's just a super, that's supernatural. Um, so even cessationists have some kind of supernatural flow, um, well, personally. Oh yeah. No, I would say if you're a Christian, it's, you know, you've been born again, you've been brought to, Absolutely. to life in Christ. That's a supernatural thing. And and so, you know, um, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will keep my, my word basically, right? Like as Christians, we're going to have a, a change of lives because we've been born again. We're going right. to show that in our, in the way our, that we live our lives. And I, and I guess another question is, you know, how do you, how are you able to differentiate, you know, because there's so many thoughts that pop into our minds each and every day. How do you make the distinction between, you know, this is something that God is telling me, and this is something that I'm just thinking, how do you differentiate? Oh, that's a great ways? question. Um, well, the way I teach people to hear the the voice of God is uh, a methodology that I call uh, read it, uh, say it, pray it. And uh, how I do it is I'll, uh, I like to use the Psalms or I like to use really any piece of scripture. And uh, I will uh, write out that scripture. I'll write it, uh, say it and pray it. I'll write it out and then I'll meditate on that scripture. And I begin to uh, focus my mind on like godly thinking. What is God telling me in this passage? Um, how does God want to shape my heart or move my heart closer to his as I meditate on this, on his word. And then I develop a, a, a sense on how to perceive spiritually uh, what God is saying. And then I will write that out and then I will pray that word and I'll build prayers around the word of God. That's uh, the best way to start developing the way to perceive um, that's the, a great place to start. I teach all the people that I disciple how to hear God's voice starting there, and then they can move on from there, and uh, God will start speaking to them in dreams. But again, all of those things need to be refiltered through the wisdom of God. I'll give you an example. Yeah. I had a, a young woman uh, with a child uh, in my church um, a few years ago, and uh, she came to me and said, uh, Pastor Rob, I feel like God is calling me to the Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry. My first question to her was, well, you have a, a, a five-year-old. Um, what are you going to do with your five-year-old? Well, I'm going to leave the five-year-old with, um, you know, with her father. And uh, I said, uh, well, I don't think that's the voice of God telling you to do that. Um, because God's a, a family first God. And that's against the wisdom of God. It doesn't make sense to me that God would call you 500 miles away uh, from your local church uh, 
when uh, spiritual discipleship or spiritual formation is something that could be done anywhere. Plus, you're not in the life season. You have you just got saved a couple years ago, and you have a daughter who's suffered some trauma. Uh, you know, going back and forth with mom and dad. And I think it would be more wise to um, learn as much as you can on your own, um, practice the gifts of the spirit in the context of your local church community, and raise your daughter. That would be wisdom. And I said, if you leave your daughter with the father, you're going to be open for a custody battle. Well, she said that I'm not hearing God. Mm-hmm. And um, that uh, that certainly uh, was bad advice for her and that it was uh, faithless. Uh, well, sure enough, the things that I saw in wisdom coming down the path happened. Uh, I could, I, so I try to tell people... Uh, you have to discern what God is doing. Prophecy should be confirming. You shouldn't just get a prophetic word like, oh, I'm supposed to do this and not test that word. It should be confirming to something that you're already feeling, already know in your heart. And it should be something that doesn't disagree with the wisdom of God. In her situation, it was the wisdom of God to put family first because God is about family. Uh, and because the Holy Spirit is not contained to one location, he's omnipresent, we can be spiritually discipled and spiritually formed uh, anywhere we are, as long as we have a willing heart and we're humble, we want to learn, and we, um, and we pour ourselves into the Word of God. Uh, this young person did, hadn't developed a relationship with the Word of God. Uh, and, and what I mean, the Word of God, the Scripture. She hadn't dug. Yeah. She hadn't... Uh, hadn't learned the scripture, hadn't even read all the books of the Bible yet, didn't understand salvation history or any kind of narrative of how God saved the world from Eden lost to Eden restored. To me, her discipleship should have been more important. The, the understanding the word of God would have saved her a season of heartbreak. And now that person isn't walking with the Lord anymore, which is sad. And, it was, and she moved to uh, Reading and uh, shipwrecked her faith. Yeah, th- that's actually ex- the, I think the danger that I see in it is, and you keep coming back to, you know, going back to the Bible. That's what I'm saying. I, I think that's sufficient, you know. Just I, always, I always preach verse by verse. Yeah. And I think that's a correction that many charismatics need to make. Mm-hmm. In fact, if there's anything that I, that I think you and I would vigorously agree on, is that the American landscape is a famine in the Word of God? Yeah. Hey, we would, yes, we would agree on that. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that uh, that uh, pastors uh, and Bible teachers from across the Christian spectrum need to get back to exegetical verse by verse teaching. Period. Yep. Yep. I would agree with that. Period. And, and so, so that's what I'm saying is I, I think that's enough. Like to hear what the Bible says is enough. Now let's work on applying it to to our daily lives why does it need to be hearing from god and then the danger comes into like what if this person over here says well i heard from god to let me that he wants me to do this but this person over here says but god doesn't want us to do like you know and i'm sure you've seen this you know as a pastor someone might come up to you and say pastor i believe that god is calling our church to do this and somebody else says, well, I believe God is calling our church to do this. So how do you determine then 
what God is calling you to do? Well, I would say that that's not how our, our expression of the Holy Spirit works here. Okay. Um, now, certainly, I believe that every Christian can hear and, and perceive supernatural knowledge from God because God's a father. Mm-hmm. And if God's a father, then he's fatherly to his sons and daughters. That means that we um, that we're being guided by by God's heart. We're being God desires to guide us in a way, you know, over and over in the Psalms. Uh, the psalmists uh, say, God, lead me in the way everlasting or lead me in the way of your word or lead me in your statutes, lead me in your precepts. That implies the supernatural leading of, of uh, an, a divine interaction between uh, a person and the person of God. So I believe very much in an intimate relationship with God. Um, but uh, in the way our church is structured, I've had you know people uh, say that to me. But, uh, you know, like, oh, I believe that God is wanting us to do this or wanting us to do that. But I look at uh, the overall, we have a group of elders that help me lead. We have a plurality of elders. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm certainly, I might be the senior pastor, but I'm not the dictator of this church. I have a group of uh, 16 other elders. We have a bigger church. So we have a wider group of elders and we pray, we fast, we pray. We ask God for direction for our church, and I believe that uh, whatever our church decides to do has to be centered around three things. One is we know it's God's will for uh, every person on the earth to be reconciled to him. Uh, we know that it's God's will for uh, us to have Christ formed in us, to, for us to conform to the image of Christ mm-hmm. and engage sanctification. And then I also know that God wants every believer activated and participating in expanding the kingdom of God in the context of their life. And so when I look at what we're choosing to do as a church, uh, I want to empower those three things. I want to empower God's will in those three areas. Um, But I also believe in prophets. And so there have been many times where we point our church in a direction, and I'll have a friend who is a prophet uh, call me, text me, email me, and confirm to me um, just out of the blue. Or, um, you know, they'll come and they'll speak at our church and they'll speak directly in to the season that we're in as a church community. Um, and so prophets have come and they've uh, confirmed and they've also corrected. Um, I think it's a beautiful interplay, beautiful exchange. I never just take somebody's uh, word at face value. I always uh, filter it. I always judge it and discern it. Um, and um, the most of the way prophecy works is it confirms something of already uh, already believing to be true or already seeing God doing, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. No, it, it's, I'm really, I'm really happy about uh, being able to, to have a lot of these questions answered for sure. Um, the, the NIR has a lot of, um, it really needs a correction and I'll vigorously d- agree with many of our critics. Um, you know, we have people like Holly Pivek that's written uh, books excoriating our movement and some of the, her arguments are not fair. Uh, she never took the time to talk to the spiritual fathers of our movement, like Harold Eberly, uh, Bill Johnson, Che Ahn, um, Brian Simmons and others. I know these men, they're godly men. They love God. They believe the Bible. Um, 
and uh, and then you know men like Mark Chirona and others. Um, there's so many uh, people. Uh, our movement needs a great correction. We all recognize that. Okay. And uh, right now we're trying to actually put together like an, an apostolic council that wrestles with the abuses in our movement, um, that wrestles uh, with the areas where we need to bring correction. And, uh, and I think we do. We need to define ourselves because that helps our critics understand us. Even if you disagree with us, you still know that I'm a Bible-believing Christian. Yeah. No, fair enough. No, I, and I know our time is running out here, so I just, you know, I just want to thank you for, for uh, taking the time and, and answering the questions that, that I, I had. Um, Caleb's been pretty silent. He wanted to talk about some eschatology for a moment. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm usually just kind of in the background here on the ones and twos, making sure the the things are going. But yeah, I'm I'm honestly very curious about that. So I'd love it if you went into that a little bit. Like, um, I'm coming from a more um right uh the theonomic reform perspective of postmillennialism. Certainly. Um, tell us more about yeah, like the the charismatic expression of postmillennialism. Um, like? Well, just so you know, Caleb, but uh, Kenneth Gentry's a good friend of mine. Uh, he's been really to cool. my yeah. been to my church twice. Sweet. And then, do you know who Greg Strawbridge is? Uh, the name sounds familiar. Yeah, he's a, uh, a former Presbyterian. He uh, Got it. is yeah. over a denomination of ex-Presbyterians, ex-Anglicans, uh, or uh, Episcopals. Uh, they're they're in your camp, Caleb. Mm -hmm. uh, Greg Strawbridge has been to my church right. uh, before, and I've been out to Pennsylvania and hung mm -hmm. out with Greg. So I really appreciate your um, your family of post-millennialism. Yeah. Uh, I do. And I get it. Um, I think the only addition we would say is that um, we would add to uh, the we would add the supernatural dimension to the theonomous dimension. Right. Um, and, and so that probably we would agree on almost everything. We believe that the kingdom is now mm -hmm. uh, that the kingdom of God is enforced and expressed through the preaching of the gospel and people engaging society. Uh, we would look, uh, we would be um, partial preterists. I'm assuming you're a partial preterist. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't think there would be very much that we would differ on. Uh, we would just apply, oh, God is going to give me a strategy, a personal strategy and a plan. Got it. Uh, divinely spoken by the spirit on how I can engage culture. Right. And begin to move in culture to bring uh, a godly uh, a, uh, to bring a nation to godliness. Sure. Um, we, I think you and I would agree that in Matthew 28, uh, the, that, that, uh, the Greek phrase there, uh, pa ethnos means all people groups, like yeah. whole nations mm -hmm. of coming under the obedience of Christ. Mm -hmm. And we would say that, that, uh, at the end of this new covenant age, um, the church will have done a great job of uh, preaching the gospel, right. bringing godly order to society. I even think we would agree on um, Abraham Kuyper's view of society. That uh, have, Are you familiar with Abraham no. Kuyper? No, uh, a little how, bit, how but about, yeah. Uh, yeah, how about uh, um, Francis Schaeffer? Uh, yes, mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so we, we would probably agree on their worldview. Right. That there sure. are that there's like movers in culture, mm -hmm. and the church should be influencing everything from education yeah. to government uh, to uh, certainly Christianity being the the main religion of the world. Um, we would have wisdom for family. 
Uh, we would have wisdom for uh, e- uh, godly economics. Mm. Um, you know, we would uh, want to see godliness in our arts and entertainment. Uh, so that's, uh, I don't think there would be very much difference between us. I think that uh, we're just spirit-filled Presbyterians. <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's what uh, that's what uh, Kenneth Gentry uh, sure. says. He likes coming here and that's fun. And, uh, yeah, that's awesome. I love Kenneth. I, I wish he would have endorsed my uh, verse by verse commentary. Uh, he didn't because uh, it probably would have brought him a measure of persecution he didn't want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so I'm curious, um, just from, you know, on the points that we may disagree on, um, where, so obviously we're, we both believe that um, Christianity is supposed to have influence on the nations and the people groups on the way that they live. We want to promote godliness. So for me as a theonomic Christian, right, my, my standard consistently is found in the law of God, right? Like I believe that um, the law of God um, from Genesis to revelation, anytime God has a moral standard, including the Mosaic covenant, um, that's telling us something about God's character, about God's standard of holiness. Um, and, you know, as a theonomist, I believe that, you know, even the civic laws um, still are, are very important and are, um, what we should ultimately foundationally base, you know, government laws on. Do you differ in that perspective? Like where, where does the... Absolutely not. I sure. Think, okay. uh, you know, Proverbs says expressly that, a, you know, that a nation, I'm paraphrasing, but a, but um, a nation that's, that's godly is a blessed nation. Right. And uh, certainly the Judeo, we're fighting a, a worldview battle right now of humanism versus the Judeo-Christian worldview. Yeah. And uh, and only the Judeo-Christian worldview produces safe societies. Yeah. Uh, so I would agree. Uh, the uh, of course Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount uh, promotes uh, the the importance of God's moral law. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would look at the things that Paul would write, write in Romans, uh, Romans chapter one and two, show us a descending uh, descending chaos of a nation or a people group that are living without God. Yeah. So uh, I would vigorously agree with you there, Caleb. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's fascinating. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, well, we should. We're Bible believing believers. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. The Ten Commandments stand. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Cool. That's that's my that's my position, and I think most people in the NAR movement would agree with me, mm-hmm. or most serious scholars. That's the problem. Many yeah. people in our movement have never been to seminary. Mm-hmm. So they 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 don't uh, have never ever looked at the subject of eschatology with any cultural context. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. This is, this has been a really, really good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I really, like I was saying, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and answering our questions. And I, I have so many questions. Like I wrote a whole bunch of notes down, got lots of questions. So hopefully sometime in the future, if it'd be okay with you, come back yeah and- ha- have me back on i also have yeah. a podcast called theaholics okay where we defend the nar movement yeah okay. so i'd like uh, both of you guys to come on that uh podcast it'd be a lot of fun yeah yeah and we it can uh we can talk uh <laughs> we could we could talk theology we could talk we can answer all your questions but i'd love mm-hmm. to come back on i yeah. really appreciate you inviting me yeah and um i feel like i have another another christian two christian brothers from across the aisle yeah. So, uh, yeah. bless you guys. Certainly. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, so we, uh, we end all of our episodes, um, and 
this is probably going to flop because it always does. So we always end with, with a question. And okay. Ron, we had this conversation. So do you disagree with us or do you disagree with us? Well, I would say I disagree. Um, I would say I disagree with you guys because there's a lot of common ground here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think uh, maybe it might be semantics. Yeah. I think yeah. most cessationists uh, would become spirit-filled if they encountered it. Uh, well, I and think- when I say spirit-filled, I believe you're spirit-filled, but yeah. but I mean an expression, yeah. right? Okay. So uh, so yeah, I, I I say there's a lot of common ground here. Um, uh, and I'm glad uh, you didn't uh, condemn me uh, because mm-hmm. there's uh, others that uh, I get a lot of hate mail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I appreciate we had a, a intellectual, honest conversation. Yeah. yeah. I really appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I think we definitely laid a really good foundation for having future conversations too, because I'm, I'm very, definitely very interested in like um, digging more into those differences and, and where, you know, issues that, Angel and I have both seen in the NAR movement, specifically with like, you know, something like Bethel Church and just seeing your opinion on that, your your thoughts yeah. um, and, and maybe where there are things that you disagree with in the NAR movement that are our major concerns. Right. Those sorts of things are. are there, um, there are major concerns yeah. uh, and many of the leaders, uh, the, the, the top three people that are very concerned about our movement are Mark Chirona, Harold Eberly and um, and Stan McCoven. Uh, and, and even, uh, Greg Wallace, uh, my Dean at Wagner university is very concerned, uh, about the NAR movement. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And they're, and rightly so it, yeah. it needs, it needs some maturing. Definitely. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, I, I did forget. We do have one last question. Oh, that's okay. True. I always yeah. forget about this last question. Uh, and this is a very serious question, Ralph. So I, we need your <laughs> very honest take on this. Okay. Um, which one do you prefer? Do you prefer Chipotle or Qdoba? And there's only one right answer. Oh, Chipotle, here. bro. Yes. No. Yeah, Chipotle. I was on a streak. I was on a streak of getting people to say Qdoba. Yes. And you know what? I, I have a, I, I, my Qdoba answer is, uh, is funny because uh, my oldest daughter was a cheerleader. And that's where they would hang out after right. uh, Christian high school games. I hated my daughter being a cheerleader. Yeah, <laughs> um, it was awesome for her. She became a, a more on fire, spirit filled Christian because of her cheer coach. It was awesome. But as a dad, I was like freaked out because being yeah. a dad of two daughters, you worry. Yeah. And so they would always want to hang out at Qdoba. So it, it triggered me. Qdoba. Okay. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> That's funny. There's two of us. That's awesome. <laughs> That's funny. If they would have hung out at Chipotle, I probably would have said Qdoba. (laughs) Right. But I love Chipotle. Bless you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bless you. Thank you so much, Rob. Okay, guys. I'll see you later. Sounds good. Take care. See you. That was a great conversation Mm -hmm. uh, with Rob. Um, If you agree with us, let us know. If you disagree with us, let us know. and uh you can you can leave a review you can go on twitter uh i forget what the handle is is it at disagree show uh it's at uh give me a second here you can go on twitter you can look up disagree with me and it'll pop up it's uh, at disagree show yes at disagree show on twitter uh you can find us on facebook on youtube caleb empowers Mm mm-hmm Yep. 
yeah we just want to thank you again for joining us and peace yeah. out adios hasta luego Thank you.